Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Beth Emanuel is committed to proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and Messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. Today, we are speaking about the Master's Last Supper, his last Seder, and the ritual born out of that event. It's a ceremony common to all of Christendom in some variation or another. The ceremonial meal of a cup and bread is based upon the master's injunction at the Last Supper to do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul presents it as a fixed formula of apostolic tradition, speaking in the language of the oral transmission process common to the schools of discipleship in his days. He says, I received the oral tradition transmitted from the master, that which I also transmitted to you, that in the night on which he was betrayed, the master Yeshua took bread. And when he had said the blessing, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup accompanying the grace after meals, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as frequently as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the master's death until he comes. All of the master's disciples agree on the importance of these words, but that's where the agreement stops. There's not much consensus over how this ceremony should be conducted, how frequently it should be conducted, or on what occasions. Nor is there much consensus on what the words mean. Before we try to figure that out, it will be helpful to review how the church and the broader Christian world understands the ceremony of the Eucharist. But before I dare say a single word about that, let me state one caveat. I have only the foggiest understanding of this subject. I'm no expert on church theology and certainly don't pretend to understand the complexities of the Christian doctrines and dogmas, various shades of interpretation, and bitter disagreements about the meaning of what they refer to as the Eucharist, the host, communion, or the Lord's Supper. It's not something I have ever tried to figure out because I know enough of church history to know it's a bitter point of contention between the sects of Christianity, and I'm not interested in their arguments. Nevertheless, I'll do my best to summarize the common views with some broad generalizations. For most of history, the Gentile Christian Church has understood the Lord's Supper as a sacramental rite. According to the sacramental interpretation, still upheld by most of the church, it's a ceremony administered under the supervision of clergy where the bread literally becomes the body of Christ. The wine literally becomes his blood, and the participant partakes of both as if eating from the altar upon which Christ has been sacrificed as an atonement for sin. The Catholics and the Lutherans somewhat famously disagree over exactly how this happens. The Roman Catholics espouse a process called transubstantiation, which works exactly the way the name sounds. 
The Lutherans adamantly reject the idea of transubstantiation, insisting that the bread and wine remain fully bread and wine, but they also insist that the bread and wine is simultaneously, truly, the flesh and blood of Christ. The Anglicans also reject transubstantiation, but teach that the real presence of Christ inhabits the elements. Generally speaking, the sacramental view holds that a person ingesting Christ's physical body and blood into the stomach receives the benefit of his sacrificial death and the forgiveness of sins, qualifying the person to go to heaven so long as he or she continues to participate in those sacraments under the administration of the clergy. The sacraments are the mechanism for staying in fellowship with the church, and none are more solemnly or urgently observed than regular participation in the Eucharist. So, according to this theology, Christ does not save individuals, he saves his church, the body of Christ, and by eating the body of Christ, the participant maintains participation in the body of Christ and will be saved along with the church. It's basically the same idea in the Orthodox churches with some nuances of meaning. I'm not certain why they consider it necessary to continue to routinely ingest the body and blood. Perhaps its potency wanes, or perhaps subsequent sins mitigate its salvific properties. In Reformed theology, the focus rests more with the individual participating in a communal remembrance of Christ's sacrifice and atoning work. The bread and wine do not physically become the body and blood of the Messiah. Instead, they are spiritually infused with the real pneumatic presence of his body and blood. The ritual does not affect salvation as it does in sacramental theology. Instead, the ritual strengthens one's connection with Christ. Protestant and evangelical traditions generally follow that same interpretation, but they water down the grape juice a little bit more, so to speak, so that the juice merely symbolizes Christ's blood and the bread merely symbolizes his body, and the whole ceremony is reduced to a solemn moment of spiritual contemplation and introspection to reflect on unity with other Christians and what Christ did for you when he died for your sins. And that's the tradition I knew growing up in the church. So how do we understand this in Messianic Judaism? I think that Messianic Jewish congregations practicing the ritual usually adopt those same church interpretations in one form or another with a few cosmetic alterations. The Messianic Jewish rabbi likes to point out that the bread broken at the last Seder was matzah bread and the wine shared among the disciples was the wine at the Passover Seder. Yeshua spoke these words while conducting a Seder with his disciples. And that's where I have placed my focus, too. I always point out that he was reclining at a Seder when he said, Do this in remembrance of me. I have put very little thought into why he said, why he said this at the Passover Seder or what he wanted his disciples to remember about him. Neither have I given much thought to the meaning of the cup and bread beyond a moment of reflection to connect with Yeshua and remember his death on Passover. Today, I want to take a step toward a better Messianic Jewish interpretation of the ceremony. David Moffat's book, Rethinking the Atonement, and an episode of the Apocalyptic Gospel podcast, 
season one, episode 25, about the messianic banquet converged in my head to inspire a new perspective on the ritual of the cup and the bread of the master, which seems more authentic and more natural to Messianic Judaism. The Bible itself doesn't support a sacramental interpretation. The word Eucharist translates the Greek word eucharistio, which literally means giving thanks. In the context of the New Testament, the word refers to the standard Jewish practice of uttering a blessing of thanksgiving before ingesting food or drink and the practice of offering a benediction of grace after meals. In the days of the apostles, the benediction of grace after meals often included a ritual cup of wine, a custom preserved in the Passover Seder and still practiced widely in Judaism. That's exactly what we read when it says, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, Eucharistio, that is, when he said the benediction of grace after meals, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 27-29 Paul alludes to that meaning by referring to it as the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not the fellowship of the blood of the Messiah? The bread that we break. Is it not the fellowship of the body of the Messiah? 1 Corinthians 10.16 From a Messianic Jewish reading of the New Testament, the sacred meal, then, has nothing to do with ingesting the physical body and blood, nor the real pneumatic presence, nor a sacramental right of membership to maintain one's good standing and status in the body of Messiah, nor the mechanism by which one receives the forgiveness of sins or eternal life. Yes, it's fair to say that it offers a cashier with the Messiah by focusing our attention on him and reminding us of his death, as Paul says, a fellowship of the blood, a fellowship of the body. But the bread and wine are really bread and wine. Perhaps on a deep Kabbalistic level, the elements contain the hidden spiritual sparks of the soul of Messiah. According to the Kabbalah, all food contains hidden sparks of divinity. But that's not the meaning the Master intended to convey when he introduced this ceremony. In the Bible, it started at a Passover Seder. He took matzah and wine and said, Do this in remembrance of me. He shared it with them. They ate and drank. The tradition that Paul received from the apostles explains the significance. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the master's death until he comes. To put it in the simplest possible language, the ceremony is supposed to proclaim the master's death until he comes. The key to understanding the ritual is to see it not only in its Passover context, but also, and more importantly, in the context of the story. In the story, the Master has been proclaiming the good news message of the kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, quit sinning and start doing good because the day of judgment is at hand when God is going to punish the wicked and reward the righteous. He's going to pour out his wrath upon the nations and upon the godless. But he's going to save Israel and the Jewish people. 
make a new covenant with the Jewish people and bring the messianic era if Israel repents, if you repent. As we know, the generation did not heed the warning. Moses and Elijah delivered the bad news on the Mount of Transfiguration. Change of plan. Moses and Elijah were speaking of his exodus, which he was to fulfill at Jerusalem, Luke 9.31. The coming day of judgment was not going to be a day of salvation for the Jewish people because in the absence of national repentance, the nation stood condemned to perish in their sins along with the other nations. Faced with this dire prospect, the master received a new mission. He was to take the place of the people like the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who dies on behalf of the people, as it says, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. From then on, he began to tell his disciples that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. But the disciples did not understand. They knew he was the Messiah, and they believed he would bring the kingdom. They expected him to rise up as the Messiah of Israel and usher in the day of the Lord. They went with him to Jerusalem, expecting to see him take his stand upon the Mount of Olives, defeat the nations, that is, defeat Rome, resurrect the dead, and gather the righteous around his table the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the great messianic banquet to fulfill what he had said. Many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 8.11 The day before they arrived in Jerusalem, Salome requested on behalf of her sons, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may recline, one on your right and one on your left. Matthew 10.21. She had in mind the seating arrangements at the Messianic banquet, the same banquet that we celebrate and dream about annually with the meal of Messiah on the last day of Passover in keeping with the Hasidic custom. The Messianic banquet will take place in Jerusalem of the kingdom. It will be a victory banquet celebrating the Messiah's defeat of the nations. But it's going to be a covenantal meal as well, celebrating the new covenant that God is going to make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah so that he will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Not like the covenant he made at Sinai, which they broke, but a new covenant for the new order of the Messianic era and the world to come. On the other hand, it is like the covenant that God made with them at Mount Sinai because he will write the Torah on their hearts, not on tablets of stone, and it will be sealed with a shared covenantal meal, just as the covenant at Mount Sinai was sealed with a shared meal in the presence of God, as it says. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel under his feet. There appeared a pavement of sapphire, clear as the sky is itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Exodus 24, 9-11 Those who enter the kingdom will be included in the new covenant, and they will be gathered around the banqueting table of Messiah like guests at a wedding banquet. Listen to Isaiah's vision of that future banquet. This is Isaiah 25, 6-9. 
The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation." That's the Bible's depiction of the reward of the righteous. Whether we are talking about the afterlife world of souls, the kingdom of heaven in the messianic era, or the final consummation in the world to come, the Bible never leaves you sitting on a cloud with a harp in your hands. Instead, the reward of the righteous is always depicted as a banquet. The poor man Lazarus reclines in the bosom of Abraham in the paradise of souls because he's reclining at the table of Abraham in Ghanadan. In the Messianic era, the righteous gather in Messianic Jerusalem under a canopy made of the skin of Leviathan for a banquet the book of Revelation refers to as the wedding supper of the Lamb, where they will eat and drink with the Messiah in celebration of his victory over the nations. In the world to come, the resurrected will bask in the presence of God, feasting on real physical food and drink and drawing nourishment from the effulgence of the presence of God. The banquet of the reward of the righteous explains why there are so many meals in this religion. And Yeshua talked about this banquet all the time, especially in his parables. As I mentioned, the great banquet harkens back to that covenant meal that took place at Mount Sinai. It's also the meaning of the symbolism of the sacrifices and offerings, the wine libations and bread offerings, the bread of the presence, the priestly rituals around the altar, which is called the table of the Lord, and the function of the priests who handle the sacrifices, which are called the food of your God. It's this banquet that the disciples hoped to celebrate with the master that Passover as he led them into Jerusalem. But when they arrive at the Passover Seder table of the Master, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, Yeshua, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. At that meal, he dashes their hopes. He speaks plainly to them. They say, now you are speaking plainly and not in riddles. He tells them he is going to die. He is to be betrayed and struck down, and that they will be scattered. But he assures them that their hope is not in vain. He tells them that 
in the future. He will eat the Pesach with them again in the kingdom. He tells them he will drink the fruit of the vine with them again in the kingdom. He tells them that they will recline together around a common table in the kingdom. It's yet to happen. All the promises and all their hopes will yet be fulfilled. They have not wasted their time on him. He says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Luke twenty-two twenty-eight through 30 The Last Supper needs to be seen in connection with this future meal in the kingdom. It's not sacramental. It's eschatological. It's not a ceremony to obtain salvation. It's about the coming end times. It's not about Passover of the past in Egypt as much as it is about the Passover of the future, the final redemption. Yeshua assures the disciples that there certainly is going to be a coming banquet. The day of the Lord is going to come. The wicked are still going to be judged and punished. The righteous are still going to be rewarded at the table of Abraham in Messianic Jerusalem. But the death of the Messiah comes first. His body is to be broken. His blood is going to be poured out in the place of the nation so that he can atone for the sins of the people on behalf of the nation. Then he can bring the kingdom in the future. And he asks his disciples to participate with him in that future goal in the bread and cup of the Passover. Doing this, he says, in remembrance of me. In biblical Hebrew, to remember someone often means to act in accordance with your obligations or promises to that person. For example, God remembered Noah means he acted on his behalf by bringing an end to the flood. Similarly, God took note of Sarah, means he acted on her behalf by fulfilling his promises that she would conceive and bear a son. God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. Genesis 30:22. It's not as if God forgot Noah, Sarah, or Rachel. But when God remembers someone, it means he gives heed to that person's prayers, acts on their behalf, and fulfills his promises and obligations to the person. In Judaism, we have lots of remembrances. The whole religion is built upon them. The remembrances go in two directions. Remembrances for Israel and remembrance for God. The remembrances are covenant gestures intended to remind the Jewish people of their obligations to the terms and conditions of their covenant with God. For example, the Passover is a remembrance of the exodus from Egypt when the covenant was made. It says, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Exodus 12.14 Likewise, the Sabbath is supposed to be a sign of the covenant at Sinai, a remembrance of the Exodus when the covenant was made. The tzitzit are a remembrance for you to look upon and remember the commandments of the Torah and to do them. The Torah bakes in all sorts of remembrances to remind the Jewish people of their obligations to God. The tefillin, the mezuzah, all the calendar observances, 
and all the rituals function as covenantal reminders. Likewise, the Torah creates remembrances for God. Sacrificial portions placed on the altar are referred to as a remembrance. They rise before God as a remembrance of the worshiper. The high priest wears the names of Israel on his breastplate and carries the names of the tribes upon his shoulders as a memorial remembrance before the Lord whenever he enters the presence of the Lord in his holy place. You shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of memorial for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for a memorial. Exodus 28.12 The priest's job is to enter the presence of God and continually remind God of his covenant obligations to Israel. That's how he atones for the nation. The twelve loaves on the table of the bread of the presence are a remembrance of the twelve tribes. On and on and on we could go with these examples. The whole religion is designed to either remind the Jewish people of their obligations to God and covenant responsibilities, or to remind God of his obligations and covenant promises to the Jewish people. Scholars refer to these ceremonies and rituals as covenant gestures. As reminders of the covenant, they invoke the terms, obligations, and promises of the covenant. And that's how we need to understand the ritual of the cup and bread at the master's last Seder when he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant gesture. He's investing these remembrances with an additional significance of bringing his, bringing his death to remembrance before God. For example, at Passover, and also Shavuot, Sukkot, and Rosh Chodesh, by the way, we add a special remembrance prayer to the Amidah called Ya'aleva Yavo, let there arise and come. It goes, Our God and God of our Father, let there ascend and come and arrive and appear and be favored and be heard and be noticed and remembered. The remembrance and notice of us, the remembrance of our fathers, the remembrance of Messiah, son of David, your servant, the remembrance of Jerusalem, city of your holiness, the remembrance of your entire people, the house of Israel. So when it's, it's saying... Let the remembrance ascend from heaven and come before your heavenly sanctuary and arrive in your presence and appear before your eyes and be favored by you and be heard by you and be noticed by you and be remembered by you. The remembrance and notice of us, the remembrance of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the remembrance of the Messiah, son of David, your servant, the remembrance of Jerusalem, the city of your holiness, the remembrance of your entire people, the house of Israel. So you see what's happening here. We're asking God to remember his obligations to each of these things. We're petitioning him to act on behalf of us, on behalf of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on behalf of the Messiah, son of David, his servant, on behalf of Jerusalem and the temple, which still needs to be rebuilt, and on behalf of the entire house of Israel. We want God to remember all of these things. How? by bringing the redemption. So we pray, let the remembrance of these things come before you for preservation, for goodness, for grace, for devotion, for compassion, for good life, for peace on this day of the festival of Matzot. Remember us on it, O Lord our God, for goodness. Notice us on it for blessing and save us on it for good life. That is for eternal life. And regarding salvation and compassion, take pity and be gracious to us. Have compassion on us and save us. 
that is, save us from the coming judgment, for our eyes are focused on you because you are the gracious, compassionate, divine King. Let our eyes behold your compassionate return to Zion. So this prayer aptly illustrates what it means to ask God to remember Messiah, Messiah, son of David. And this is how we should also understand the meaning of the master's words, do this in remembrance of me. The apostles said that the ritual of taking the matzah and wine as a memorial of the Messiah's body and blood proclaims the death of the master until he comes. To whom does the ceremonial meal proclaim the master's death? Not to unbelievers. Unbelievers are not supposed to participate in the rite. It's an exclusive rite. Instead, the ritual proclaims the death of the master to Hashem until he remembers the Messiah and sends him back. That's what it means to proclaim the death of the master until he comes. Until he comes. After he comes, we will no longer do this ritual. So here's the simple meaning. We are supposed to take the cup, invoking the remembrance of Yeshua's spilled blood. We are to take the bread, invoking the remembrance of his body. We are supposed to use these physical tokens to petition God to remember the merit and virtue of our master and the favor that he accrued through his suffering and his willing death. We want God to remember the favor the Messiah earned and to apply that favor, grace, on behalf of the nation and on behalf of us. When God remembers the death of the Messiah according to this petition, he will reciprocate, acting on the Messiah's behalf, and send him to us a second time to bring the final redemption and inaugurate the new covenant so that he can eat the matzah and take the cup with us again in his father's kingdom. And that's the meaning of the ritual. It's also the meaning conveyed in the Didache's text for Grace After Meals, which concludes with a prayer for the ingathering and return of the Messiah. Gather the betrothed from the four winds to your kingdom that you have prepared for her. May grace come, may this world pass away. Hoshana to the son of David. Everyone who is holy, let him come. Everyone who is not, let him repent. Maranatha, our master is coming. Amen. I remember taking communion. I remember taking a little cracker and a thimble of juice and trying to force myself to feel a solemn moment of spiritual connection with Jesus as I did so. I remember trying to focus on his death and how that should make me feel. Sad, grateful, loving, and then trying to feel those feelings. It was a meaningful moment of connection and a really nice sentiment. But the ceremony is not supposed to be a moment of sentimentality. He was asking us to take the cup and bread and more specifically the Passover matzah and wine, as a proclamation of his death in the presence of God, beseeching God to remember his sacrifice by acting on his behalf and bringing the redemption, the new covenant, and the messianic era, thereby fulfilling the good news message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what it means to do this in remembrance of me. Then, 
he will finally be able to recline at the table and eat and drink with his disciples again. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul. 